What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. As always, I'm PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, I have uh, an interesting starting spot here I want to talk to you about. I don't even know if you know about this yet. You haven't really been keeping up with the chat as of the last couple hours. So my first question is, do you still have ESPN notifications for fantasy football enabled? I want to say no, but at the same time, it does. I do randomly get the uh, notification, the, you know, the noise pops up on my phone. I don't ever look at them, but I don't know if they're very generic ones like, hey, your league did something or something like that. I don't know if I really get like the frequent player ones. So I, I guess not. OK, so you don't know that within the last hour, hour and a half, I made a trade. Oh, no, I did. I did see that. Yeah, no, I saw. That. Oh, dang it. I was hoping I was going to break that news to you right live on the podcast. I got it on, uh, I think, Gmail sent me a little notification. I was like, oh. hey, your league made a trade. I was like, oh, let's see. Oh, OK, well, that's nice. So uh, you're not a fan of it? You're not a, you're not a fan because I got better, maybe? I feel like it's it's risk reward. It's definitely, uh, yep. I mean, I, maybe explain it so we don't leave our listeners in the dark on what the heck we're talking about. So everybody knows we're, we're recording right now. It is 724 Monday the 17th. For those that don't really keep track, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs head until 4 o'clock on the day of this recording, the 17th, to sign their franchise tag, or not sign their franchise, to agree to an extension with the teams. If they didn't, they couldn't agree to an extension until the season's over, but neither of them have signed the franchise tag yet. So technically they aren't going to get fined for not reporting to training camp. And both of them said they're not going to training camps. It's undetermined when they're going to report to actually play in meaningful games with the team. So I use that against our friend John, who does overreact every once in a while, where this morning I was going, hey, if they don't uh, agree to this, they might not play till week 10. If they're not, they might not play at all, which I wasn't lying whatsoever. Was I playing into that a bit? Yes, because as the league champion of last year, I'm drafting in the 10th spot in a 10-team league. I'm not going to get a star player. My options were Mixon, uh, Brees Hall, because you get to one lock, and then you get three options to be your other keeper. And you know, one of those is randomly selected. So I didn't really like all of my locks and my, my keeper options. So our friend John, who was on this podcast, who drafted and won the mascot battle royale, the scariest one, he uh, threw out the idea of Josh Jacobs and Joe Burrow for Joe Mixon, and I instantly went, deal. And he reneged on that because he thought I agreed to it too quickly. Then I went, okay, I'll do Joe Mixon for Josh Jacobs right off the bat. And he said no to that one also. So I went, James Cook and Joe Mixon for Josh Jacobs. He said no to that. I said, both Cooks for and Mixon for Josh Jacobs. And he said no to that. So four o'clock rolls by, I, I put out the message, hey, neither of them agreed. And uh, John uh, in our group chat goes, so that means he can't sign an extension, right? He's either signed the tag or no deal, right? And I said, yes. And maybe like four to five seconds later, an, uh, a trade pops up in my inbox, which is I was, I received Josh Jacobs and J.K. Dobbins for Joe Mixon and Delvin Cook. Yes, the Delvin Cook without a team right now. Phil, uh, rapid grade of my trade. There's a lot to unpack because it, it, it does depend if Jacobs is going to play. Yep. And talking to the person who was the 
the man who had Le'Veon Bell for that one year, uh, yep. you're a bit more sensitive to this issue. I really am, because everyone was like, yeah, he's absolutely going to sign. There's no way. No one's ever sat out a full season before or anything like that. As it gets closer, he'll sign. He's going to be one of the best in the league. I think it was, what, first overall that year? Yes. And yeah. I, I Yeah, I think he, you drafted him first overall. And everyone was like, yeah, no, he'll play. He's going to be amazing. He's the guy to still get. No one was worried about him. No fantasy experts were worried. And all of a sudden, he doesn't play an entire season. And I think I still did okay in the year. But my first-round draft picks have been atrocious ever since I came in the league. So, yeah, I, as soon as you made that deal, I was like, all right, Lev Bell again. Here we go. He's not going to play for a while. But who knows? But also, like you said, Dalvin Cook doesn't have a team. I'm sure by the time the season rolls around, he he will. And Mixon, I actually like Mixon. I was surprised I you too. were. Yep. Huh? I like him, but I don't have him at the level I have if Josh Jacobs plays. Oh, and for sure. A lot, of this, a lot of this played into a factor because drafting from the 10 spot, I'm not going to get one of the different top maker. tier yeah, players. Yeah. So the only way I was going to do it was a deal like this. So I, I had to pull the trigger in the hopes that he does play week one if he, he if does he, yeah he's gonna be yeah it's gonna be great yes yeah risk reward like right. you said so I, I think yeah i think with your drafting ability and how you've done recently i think you can work around it no matter what and worst case scenario is he oh, i forgot how this worked when i had love bill if he can sit on ir or not i don't remember. he cannot okay i didn't think i thought i could sneak i don't know why i thought i was able to sneak love bell into my ir spot so it didn't really affect my team there was someone out. Oh, there was someone with a weird thing. I thought it was Lev Bell that I was able to sneak down there for some freaky, weird rule. It might not have been him, but there's someone I've had recently that I was able to have as an IR candidate, even though he wasn't really injured. It was some random tag he had that still kind of fell under those rules. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to take a bench spot. But like you said, if he does end up playing pretty much at all, I mean, if you can weather the storm and make playoffs, which it's a 10-team league and a lot of teams make playoffs, so... If you can even just make playoffs and then get him hopefully second half of the season or something, then you're in good shape. And if he sits out the whole year, eh, then, you know, that stinks. But I think the risk was worth it. So I guess I'll give a B plus. I'll give you a B plus. That seems fair. I'll take it. I'll take it. I figure we're not drafting until the 20th. Our keepers are not due in until the 13th. So that's less than a month away, about like 28 days away. So hopefully we have more information by then. Training camp will be done. Preseason games will be kicking off. So I'm hoping I have more information by then. If I don't, you know, it's going to be a decision. Do I put him in my lock spot or one of my wild cards? I figure I got to put him in my lock spot after that trade. But if you want to grade my trade, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and threads. At Buffalo Sports Collective. Yes, I double-checked. Threads is Buffalo Sports Collective full name. So when Twitter disappears, we can get rid of this Buffalo Sports Co. stupid little thing here because they don't allow us to have the full... Yeah, it's close. I just ran out of letters. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Phil, let's kick off some bills because training camp begins in exactly one week next Wednesday. And... For a team that has such high expectations and has a team that is one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl once again, there are very limited spots available on this roster, the 53. So my main question here is, what are your top two camp battles to watch for guys to make the 53? And I think 
We both have different ones because this time we did it a little bit differently where we sent each other our list so we didn't kind of collide a bit. We'll see how that works in this one. I know you already said you didn't really like it, but you also liked it. It was a weird kind of thing because we haven't done it. But I guess we'll start with your number two camp battle. What one are you watching? And then I'll throw out my number two. Sure. My number two is the CB2 spot. Obviously, Tredavious White will be CB1, even if he's not quite at the level he was before his injury. He's still, I mean, he he doesn't really have any competition on the team unless Kair Elam's potential explodes, which I don't know if it's going to yet. So I don't think White has any real competition on the team whatsoever for CB1. But CB2, I think there's some competition. Dane Jackson had a decent season. I know you're not a fan whatsoever, but the team is quite a fan of him. And I think he has been really good in certain games and then very bad in certain games and situations. So he's just inconsistent. He's been the team for a little while. And then Elam is a rookie, obviously going into year two. And then the other one I have is kind of a wild card is Christian Benford. He came on last year as a six-round rookie and actually played pretty well in his nine games. He had 24 tackles, five passes defended, and one interception. Elam in 13 games had 41 tackles, four passes defended, and two interceptions. So for Benford, in only nine games to have five passes defended in the role that he was put in for a six-round pick, I thought he did really well. And then Dane Jackson obviously played a little bit more than both of them. He played in 15 games at two interceptions, 12 pass deflections, and 57 tackles. So his numbers were the highest out of all of them. And his pass deflections were actually quite higher than either of the other two. But again, the other two are rookies. So can they make that next jump? To me, the big thing with Dane Jackson compared to Elam and Benford is the size. And Dane Jackson is very similar size to Tredavious White. And to me, if I was the Bills, I wouldn't want two cornerbacks to be a little bit shorter. White is 5'11", Jackson's 5'11". So I would rather have a little bit bigger guy. Elam is 6'1", 191, and Benford is 6'1", 205. So to me, personally, I would rather have one you know, blanket coverage, shorter guy like Tredavious White, who can read everything really well and makes up for his size with his just incredible intelligence and how he plays. And then the other side, I'd rather have an Elam or a Benford who are a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical and can kind of play that aspect as your CB2 can play that other style wide receiver who might be a little bit bigger compared to your Stefan Diggs, who's going to be a little bit more, you know, technical in what he does. That's what Tredavious White's very good at. But if you have an AJ Brown, I think you'd want more of an Elam and a Benford. And I think obviously with Elam's draft pedigree, he's going to be the one that's going to be looked at the most for CB2 position. But If Benford continues what he did last year, I mean, he was very impressive with the time he was given. Again, sixth round versus first round. I wish that kind of stuff didn't matter. I mean, Jackson was, I believe, a seventh round. So you can kind of say that it doesn't necessarily matter in that case, but he's been around a lot longer. So he just has the veteran leadership or years over Elam and Benford. So I wish Benford would be given a fair shot against Elam. I don't know who would honestly win that battle. Obviously, Elam, first-round pick, he's supposed to be the better one, and he did look good in the limited time he had. But I think Benford could be interesting as a CB3 or just a you know kind of backup guy, but also could fight for CB2 if he was really given the option. But realistically, out of those three, I think Elam should be the one to win it and take it over if he can kind of progress from what we saw in his rookie year to year two, but I guess we will see. But that's one of the battles I am looking at. Yeah, I agree. I think Elam, he needs to grab that CB2 role this year just based on his draft pedigree and how he came on towards the end of last season. I don't hate Dane Jackson 
I think he's more like a, I, I, I think I want to call him Leotis McKelvin. I think he is the one where he's in perfect position all the time until the ball's in the air. And then he just doesn't make a play on the ball when it's in the air. I think that's my biggest knock on him because he had the most passes yeah, defended. He did, but <laughs> it's also because they were throwing at him so much. <laughs> but no, that's very true. I, I think I would like to see him in more of a limited role because last year I think it was a bit unfair for a seventh round pick to have to cover either the team's number right. one or the number two. He's not built for that kind of role. So I know the team loves him. I know you are a fan of him. I'm not, but if he is the CB3 or CB4 on this team. I think he has a much better future moving forward. And I would agree. Benford came on like kind of like a surprise out of camp last year being a six round pick. He got hurt. I think it was his wrist or his hand or something like that, where he had to be in that cuff and, and like the club for a while. And I know they were putting him at a safety as well. So he's very versatile back there. I think both of those, I, I think it'll be Elam, Jackson, or Benford for number two, and I expect Elam to kind of take that jump forward. So I agree with you there. For mine, it is kind of bubble guys for both of my positions here. And my number two camp battle that I'm going to be watching is the edge. And we can, I don't think we've ever talked enough about this, is I don't want to call it the failure of Brandon Bean drafting defensive linemen, but they've just haven't equaled the amount of draft capital they've put into it. I'm I'm writing an article that should be out on Friday about picking the 53 here. I did it last year, I'm doing it again this year, but it's it's I did the math. They drafted four defensive linemen in the first two rounds under Brandon Bean and Gregory Rousseau is probably the best one. I mean, Ed Oliver just got that extension, but the two names here that I'm watching that I think you only have room for one is A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham. Both second-round picks, Epinesa in 2020, Boogie Basham in 2021. And I'm kind of leaning towards A.J. Epinesa just because he has showed more flash. He has that extra year on him. He is 6'6", rather than 6'3", of Boogie Basham. Boogie Basham has got that extra 21 pounds on him. And actually, Boogie Basham is actually a year older than A.J. Epinesa as well. AJ Epinesa six and a half sacks last year. He's got nine total sacks, and then Boogie two sacks last year, four and a half total. If I were a betting man, and you're only keeping one of those two because I've got Leonard Floyd, I got Von Miller, I got Gregory Rousseau, and I got Shaq Lawson. To me, there's room for one more, even if Von Miller is healthy. I think I would get the edge to AJ Epinesa just because he has showed more flash. They've invested more time in him. Both of the money situations is about equal. You're not saving a ton of money by cutting one over the other. It's very similar. I think both are under a million dollars. But I think just based on the type of player and the roles and what I've seen with my own eyes, I would give the edge to Epinesa right now over Basham if I'm keeping one of those bubble guys. Yeah, I think we talked about it. We did talk about it recently. I don't know... Why? I don't know if it was one of our reasons that the Bills wouldn't make it back or one of I don't know, one of our Bills segments recently we did talk about I think it was maybe who needs to step up in Yeah, yours was offensive lineman and defensive lineman the the Yeah, line we battle. talked about how though he's kind of yep. busted on some of those picks and especially because it's been, like you said, so heavily drafted and so, you know, all the draft the higher end draft picks have really been defensive end and edge guys, and here we are with Two that really aren't coming through. I I agree. I think, like you said, the the rotation you have above Epinesa and Basham, you'd only really need to keep one. With what you've seen 
from Epinesa and Basham, like you said, Epinesa has been a little bit more productive. Do you think Basham is a kind of guy that you could sneak through to the practice squad? Or do you think because Edge is kind of always looked at as a valuable position that another team seeing the second round pedigree would just kind of snatch him up no matter what, like one of these, you know, just lower teams that don't maybe have the depth that the Bills do at that position currently and would not really be able to sneak him through? Or do you think someone like Boogie, because he hasn't really had a lot of play time and he hasn't really had the years on him, that he'd be someone you can possibly sneak through to your practice squad? Just based on that second round draft pedigree yeah, just three years ago, yeah. I think he would get snagged. So I think your best case scenario is what you kind of saw with um, Bam Johnson a couple of years ago, where he just flashed in camp. They didn't have a spot for him, so they traded him for maybe a seventh round pick to uh, Carolina. Get, get I think your back. hope is both of these guys flash in training camp at preseason and you're able to move one or the other. And then the one that you aren't able to move or chose not to move stays on the team. And it's your fifth rotational edge rusher. But either way, I don't think as long as Von Miller is healthy and I'm not expecting to see a fully healthy Von Miller until maybe November, but I I really think it's going to be like a three horse race with Shaq Lawson subbing him every once in a while, because imagine Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and Gregory Rousseau coming off the edge at you. That's a three-headed monster that I would be terrified if I was an opposing quarterback. Yeah, completely agree, and I, I love it because I feel like that's something we haven't been able to say for the Bills in a long time. Yeah, since maybe Jerry Hughes' primetime days where <laughs> right. he was an underrated player too. Yes, he was. Phil, uh, what is your number one camp battle you're going to be watching as training camp opens next week, Wednesday? It might be... Because I love one of these players, and it might be because I like offense and it's fun to watch. But my other camp battle to keep an eye on is wide receiver, and it's going to be pretty much the... I think Gabe Davis will have wide receiver two roles no matter what anyone really does, unless someone really explodes. So it's pretty much that slot receiver, and to me, it's such a huge part of the Bills' offense that was missing so badly last year. You saw the difference between having a Cole Beasley for Josh Allen and not having a Cole Beasley for Josh Allen and just the difference in what his decision-making is, who he can go to. He just didn't have that undercut route to kind of count on. So to me, that is a huge, huge thing that the Bills need in general for their team, for their offense, and I think it's going to be a big camp battle as well. I think Shakir, for me, is my number one because I like him quite a bit. He was drafted, what, fifth round last year? Yep, yep. So in his first year... He had 10 catches, 161 and one, but in playoffs alone, he had five catches for 91 yards. So half the catches, almost the entire total yardage he had throughout the entire season, he made up in playoffs. So I think in a big spot like that, big situations, he showed that he can handle the pressure being thrown into playoffs, being thrown into some of those situations he still produced. He ended up, forgot where I saw the stat, but he caught two of the league's five catches with the lowest probability to be caught, and they were both in that Steelers game. One of them was triple coverage that he was able to come down with it. And he's a smaller guy, but all the catches that we saw, I think, throughout the entire year from him, his hands are incredible. Like the, He always catches at the high point of the ball, and just the catches he's able to make he, for a smaller guy, he makes it look really easy, and the ball just seems to stick to him really well. He didn't really have too many drops. His main competition is going to be Sherfield. It's going on his sixth year, and he's going to... Last time he was the most successful for himself, he had 30 catches for 417 yards and four touchdowns, which is pretty solid. Obviously, 
more productive than what Shakir was able to do last year. But again, Shakir was in his first season and they really didn't use him all that much at all. I thought they should have used him a little bit more, especially because they were missing that slot role. I don't know why they didn't use him a little bit more when they should have, but I think those two are going to be the big ones for the slot. Rookie Kincaid, obviously they were kind of talking about him being drafted for the slot and what he can do. I don't know if he's necessarily competition because he is technically a tight end. I think they will use him in similar tight end packages. I don't think he's really going to be your wide receiver three. Deontay Hardy is mainly a special teams guy, but in 2021, he did have 570 yards and three touchdowns in 13 games, so he can be a wide receiver. I think he's more of a downfield threat, but he does have some slot ability with his shiftiness. But again, I think he's also just going to be more special teams than a wide receiver. So to me, this battle for slot receivers, really Shakir and Sherfield, I think both of them have a really good chance. Again, Sherfield's been in the league a lot longer and had a really good role with the Dolphins last year. So we'll see. I like Shakir a lot, and with his second year, I'd like to see him really take that role. I think it's a role he can thrive in and could do really well in, especially if he's not getting the coverage of a wide or a cornerback one or cornerback two, and he's with someone else. His route running is really, really good, so I could see him playing into that role really well. But Sherfield's also did a really good job last year, and he's also more of the – I don't know. We haven't really seen it because he only had 10 catches, 15 total last year, but I don't know if Shakir has the ability for – Yards after catch, where Sherfield, I think, is a lot of speed. So I think he might be able to get those, you know, five-yard dump-offs and take it 10-15, where Shakir will, is to me, seems more like a slot guy who would catch it at 10 yards and get to 12, but he's always going to catch it. So I think it's going to be a really interesting battle between those two. But for the Bills in general, I think they really need a slot wide receiver. They really need a wide receiver three in that role. So I think in general, not only between Shakir and Sherfield or whoever else steps up, I think it's just a really big battle in general because I think the Bills offense needs that kind of player and they're missing it quite a bit. I think I will agree with almost everything you said except for one thing. I actually think Deontay Hardy is going to have a much bigger role than just a special teams guy. I think he's going to be kind of Isaiah McKenzie 2.0 as long as Ken Dorsey is able to get more creative. Yeah, I think you're going to see him on end out, end arounds, jet sweeps, all that kind of stuff where he's just going to use that elusive speed. Yes, I think he's going to be electric in the return game. I think that could be another camp battle to watch is Hines versus Hardy in, in the return game. Who wins that battle? Maybe they'll split it. One of them gets kickoff return duties and one of them gets punt return duties. But it'll definitely be I, – I just think he's going to be a lot more involved. I don't know if he's going to be able to threaten for a more prominent slot role like a Shakir or a, a Sherfield or even like a Kincaid. I, I – I, did to I put in my article last year to kind of pump the brakes on Khalil Shakir last year, where it was he's still a fifth round pick, he's still a fifth round rookie. You got to temper your expectations, even though everybody's really high on him, and a lot of people get high on you know those those later round rookies in the in, on the offensive end just because of how much promise they have, and which is weird because we're not seeing much on shorter right now. I, I wonder if that's just because of Shakir's there, and then you got the new guys and Kincaid as well. So I wonder if that's just he's, – he's just getting overlooked. But uh, I, I think it's just going to be more of a combination rather than just a one go-to guy, and I think you won't see somebody kind of come out of that battle until – maybe like late October, November, where you're really going to see one guy shine. But I definitely agree with you because once Cole Beasley left last year and they had to bring him back because nobody was really filling that slot role for Josh Allen, it'll be interesting to see if 
Dalton Kincaid, a rookie tight end in this league, and we've known from history, and history tends to repeat itself, and it's never been an outlier. Rookie tight ends take at least a full year to develop before they hit. I'm, I know there's a lot of hype and a lot of talk on Dalton Kincaid and what he can bring to this offense, and I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But the chances are very, very slim that he's going to go out there for like 75, 908. I I just can't see that happening, even if they're going to play him in the slot role. So I think out of all the wide receivers right now between, you know, Shorter, who's probably not going to play much, Kincaid, who's, yes, a tight end, but he's also going to play wide receiver a lot, Sherfield, Hardy, and Shakir. Shakir's been in the offense the longest, so I would give the edge to him. So I would agree with everything you said. I'm, I'm hoping Shakir steps up to it. But I wouldn't doubt like more of a role from Hardy. Yeah, and Beasley, before we move on, Beasley in his three years of Buffalo, every single year he had over 100 targets. And his last two, he had 82 receptions in 2020 and 2021. So no one's really taken any of those targets or any of those receptions in in the last year. I mean, no one really stepped into that role, like you said. And it's not that nobody stepped into the role quite to that level. Pretty much nobody stepped up at all like those 112 targets that he had in 2021 I couldn't tell you where you know even 50 of them ended up going let alone 82 receptions I mean it just I don't know Allen just did not have that guy to lean on in that short yarded situation you saw it hurt when it was third and three third and two third and four where you just didn't have that guy to go out get you that quick five yards get a first down and move on you just he didn't have anyone to rely on and again I mean we talk a lot about what the wide receiver three is going to be that also could end up being James Cook out of the backfield as well, have it handling a lot of those kind of slot duties or coming out of the backfield and getting a lot of passes. So it'll be interesting to see what this just wide receiver and offense with pass catchers ends up looking like this year and how creative they can get. Yeah, a lot of weapons it comes down to. Once again, I think we said it on the last show. <laughs> we said it every Ken single Dorsey, time we talk Bills. Yeah. What can what can the man at the offensive coordinator position do with all the weapons that he now has? But for me, I am sticking to defense, and I think the number one battle for, I think, a lot of people, and I probably stole this from you, I think you probably wanted this one as well, is the linebacker position opposite of Matt Milano. Tremaine Madmans out the door, got the bag in Chicago. Congrats to him. I'm always team or player first, getting the money you can because your career is very short. So I don't hold any grudges. He moved on. He got the bag. Good for him. Proud of him. For me, it comes down to there's one spot in the linebacker room left. And I don't even know if this player is going to win the position opposite of uh, uh, Matt Milano, but I think it's a, to me, there's four players that I could see winning it, but in the grand scheme of it, I, I only see two. It's Shane Ray, Balen Specter, AJ Klein, and uh, Terrell Dodson. And to me, it's really just Klein or Dodson. And Klein brings that veteran savviness that you can put in there. And he's not going to flash, but he's not going to miss a beat. He he filled in for Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds last year. I want to say against New Orleans. Maybe it was the year before. I remember he had like 11 or 12 tackles and he, he really didn't miss a beat. But you're not going to get that speed. You're not going to get that flashiness. Terrell Dodson, on the other hand, he's this is going to be his fourth year with the team. He's been an RFA every single year, coming back on one-year deals. He's going to be making the same amount on the team as if he would be off the team. So he's making $2.01 million, whether he's there or sitting on the couch somewhere or playing for somebody else. So 
I lean Dotson just because of the time and investment they put in him. I think Klein's there just as an insurance policy if one of these guys doesn't step up. Dorian Williams is going to be there. You got uh, Bernard there. You got Medikevich, who's actually going to be making more if you cut him than if you keep him. You got Matt Milano. I think, to me, I give the edge to Dotson just because I think they see something in him. Otherwise, why would they keep bringing him back over and over and over? Now, when it comes time to who is going to win the middle linebacker position, well, quote-unquote middle linebacker position next to Matt Milano, I think it's going to be a combination. Will it be Dorian Williams, a new rookie? Will it be Terrell Bernard, who they drafted in the third round last year, which both of those, Williams and Bernard, we both complained about why are you drafting him so early? And then Tyrell Dotson. It's going to be one of those players, but I also, and I guess I'll give a quick sneak peek about my article coming out on Friday. I wouldn't also doubt that you might see only Matt Milano as the only linebacker and they add another safety onto the field that comes down to the box more often. So I think it's going to be a collection of guys to replace Tremaine Edmonds. But when it comes down to the bubble guys, I think it's going to be Dodson over Klein, Specter, and Ray. And I think you see Specter on the practice squad, maybe Klein if he doesn't get taken. And I think Ray goes back into free agency. I think you you, you try to keep Spectre and Klein on your practice squad so you can call them up or send them down whenever you need to. And then Terrell Dodson is your uh, your last linebacker that makes the 53. And then you think the two third rounders are going to really rotate? I think it's going to be a rotation between Williams, Bernard, and Dodson and kind of see who steps up and they'll get the vast majority of playing time. But I can't see a linebacker getting 100% of the snaps like Tremaine Edmonds did. I could be wrong, but I, I just can't envision that Based on the speed in the NFL now, the the speeds in the wide receiver room, I really think this is going to be a year where you're going to see three safeties on the field more often than you do two linebackers. Uh, I guess not in those screen scheme of things, but more often, I, I guess I'll put that, than you have in the past. And like you said, with Tremaine Edmonds being here for so long, I mean, yes, you can have as many camp battles as you want and see what they look like in camp, but until they're on the field, you really don't know right. what any of those players are. No, Dotson's been around. He's been pretty impactful when he's been on the field and pretty good. But the other two, like you said, both third round picks, you haven't really had a good chance to really see what they can do because the other two have been out there for so long and on your team for so long as that duo that you really haven't had a chance to look at anybody else as a backup or even just as who's going to be your starter. So I agree. I think it's going to be a rotation until somebody steps up. And if nobody really steps up this year, I could see them leaving it as a rotation all year long just to keep those guys fresh but, I mean, for all we know, one of them could really shine and really start to take the position and take off. I mean, that's kind of why you draft, you know, two guys in the third round back-to-back years because you don't know what they could turn out. They could be a complete bust, and they could be the next Tremaine Edmonds. I don't know if that really is on the team right now, but it, it could be. You don't know until you really get them in a game and in that situation. So I think to start off, for sure, it's going to be some kind of rotation. I completely agree that I don't see – any one of them really just immediately stepping into, you know, 90 plus percent of the snaps right out of camp. But Phil, like we said, training camp opens next week, Wednesday, a week from today. So a lot of these camp battles are going to be slowly working themselves out and there's going to be injuries. There's going to be, you know, guys getting put on the pup list. There's going to be guys that go on the IR. There's going to be guys that there could even be new bodies coming into camp. So everything we just talked about could be flushed down the drain. My article could be flushed down the drain next Wednesday if somebody goes down injured. So it's uh, it's always a interesting and fun time to keep track of the Buffalo Bills in training camp because a lot of things that will 
kind of expose themselves in January are going to start getting worked out now at the end of July. And uh, Phil, football time is right around the corner. Are you excited for only five one o'clock games? I am. I am not actually. I'm whatsoever. glad for you. But um, I am. I mean, you are getting me slowly more and more hyped about uh, fantasy football. I've been starting to get the itch back a little bit to uh, start looking into it. I know we've looked into it way too early the last few years where we start in May and June doing mocks when the teams are barely complete and we don't know what the heck is actually going on and we're mocking like six times a day. So finally, finally put it off. But now that we have some draft positions floating in and we're talking about it a little more i'm getting a little bit more excited to start really diving into it and start listening to things again and i'm excited we're almost we're almost there we're getting toward football season and we're getting toward the best season of the year and i can't wait yeah you got that itch and i got the dogs barking in the background right now i think somebody's walking in front of the house but phil we will move on to the buffalo bandits now we will shut the door on the buffalo bills and welcome them into training camp on wednesday but we will uh, move along, and Phil, my biggest question mark here, and I think this arose because of what we put out last week, where we were talking about, okay, there's some trades that went down on Monday and Tuesday with Saskatchewan, and Toronto was involved, and uh, Panther City was involved as well, and it kind of got us wondering, hey, are there any trades out there that Buffalo might be interested in? And a lot of the responses came back were, you know, what are you going to do at the goaltending position? Van Vince is getting any younger. Is he going to be coming back? I even saw some people saying, hey, Dylan Ward. Dylan Ward might be an option. I, I don't think Dylan Ward's an option quite yet, I believe, because I've been working on this. I, I, I promised everybody at the beginning of the offseason that I was going to dig into finding out what the free agency and all that kind of stuff is made out of. And I, I'm working on it. I'm digging <laughs> deeper and deeper. You you are my, uh, my uh, I guess, What's the good word for it? You are my, um, uh, you, you can Witness. vouch for me. I guess there that's a go. good way to put it. But uh, yeah, um, my biggest thing here is, and I said why this was all brought up. Matt Vince is a UFA and he cannot be franchised unless he agrees to that type of deal, which means, you know, you can't just put the franchise tag on him like you did Dane Smith and Dane Smith has to come back to Buffalo. He's over the age of 33. You can't do that with him. Obviously he's 41. We believe, and I truly believe, if he returns is a true 50-50 right now. I think he wants to return, but I, I wonder if, you know, that pull of the family where these kids are getting a little bit younger or a little bit older into school and into sports and stuff like that. And that means a lot to him. And you can see how much that means to him before the games and after the games where he's always pointing up in the stands where his family is. So I think that might be a major part of his decision right now. And whether he decides to retire or come back to play, it's his call. I'm going to support him either way. But I think his decision might be a few weeks away. So we all know that there will be a time when Matt Vince is not between the pipes. Does he decide to ride off into his Hall of Fame career after this title? Or, you know, is he going to be back in net? So, I think the way we are looking at this now is, say it's at 50% where he does not come back to Buffalo. You need to replace him in net. What are your top three solutions if you cannot convince Vince? We'll start with number three for you. Number three. I don't like having to discuss this topic. uh, Me either, uh, but, you know, it's July 19th. We need content for the people. Uh, let's uh, let's hope it's this true. doesn't come to fruition. But if it does, 
we're going to be ready. Okay, well, two of mine are very similar, so I guess we'll start with the one in a way they're similar. Uh, But last year, we had to wait. I know you and I and all the fans were waiting to see when Vince would come back. It was August 26th last year that he was signed officially on the Bandits that they released the information that he was coming back. So I know him and Rose went very deep into summer before they were signed, and uh, we might have to do some very anxious waiting again this year if that's how late it was last year so hopefully we get that information sooner this season but i know rose was also just as late as he was so we could be waiting until very late august early september until we get that but for me uh my number three option which is similar ish to my number one but we'll go with number three first would be drafting a rookie goalie we've seen a few of them recently come out and actually play pretty well and i don't know with the team and how they are right now like the big thing with losing vince would be i don't know it it really depends on what you could do and i know a few of our options kind of completely change the mentality that i'm having with losing vince if you lose vince i don't think your championship window is closed by any means but it hurts quite a bit to lose the number one goalie and someone who played extremely well in the championship series and all throughout playoffs and is a main reason that we've talked about them having the year they did last year so losing that is a monster blow to this team i don't think there's anything out there that really replaces him so it really depends on if he doesn't come back what the bandits immediately want to switch to do they switch to someone who's more a veteran on the way up a veteran in general who can keep this team hopefully together or do you kind of look to the future and get someone new in so if they did decide to draft someone to me personally i would have shanahan and a drafty kind of fight it out but thanks to lacrosse flash they were able to get some information that they have on some of the nll they're kind of draft big board and they explain some of the picks that they had for offense and defense and goalies and who's a possibly available so the one i narrowed in on is names andrew kidd and it was he was second on their list for goalies but he was climbing up their list quickly he's a toronto native which i think is huge obviously we know in the nll a lot of the players like to stay near their homeland he currently is playing for the toronto beaches again very close to where he lives the number one goalie was out west in british columbia so i think that would be a hard sell for him, even if they did draft him. So this guy, Andrew Kidd, is doing pretty good this year. I think he was a backup last year, but he's really doing well this year. On July 1st, in one of his recent games, he had a 40-save, one-goal-against performance. He'll be 21 in October, so obviously very young. He hasn't declared yet, I think they said, for the draft officially, but he also is aging out of the juniors Toronto Beaches team, so he can't play for them next year, so... It's likely he would declare, and he's overall playing really, really well this season. His numbers, I think they said across juniors, he's number two in most things. I think he had a seven seven point something goals against average and an over 80% save percentage. So he's playing really well right now as a young player. And again, he had a two-goal performance before that July 1st one, then a one-goal performance right after it. So obviously... He is doing quite well, especially in his first year as a true starting goaltender. So very young, but again, we've seen a few rookie goalies in the NLO recently started to climb the ranks and do really well. So, I mean, if that's the way the Bandits kind of saw things headed, I think I would expect them to either take Buckin or Shanahan and have them kind of battle it out. I don't think they'd want to just go rookie only and say good luck, even though you have a really strong defense, but 
I think it'd be interesting to see them draft one. I mean, you and I, or at least me, have been asking them to draft a goalie for quite some time, but I also know they really like Shanahan, who's also very young as well. So he's kind of like their version of drafting a goalie every single year because he's not old whatsoever. So, I mean, with him still on the team and them trusting in him, I don't think they're going to draft one, but if they lose Vince, I could see them drafting someone new to get in the pipeline and see what he's got. I don't hate it. I, with, I don't like uh, it, if we're being honest. But. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'll, I'll preference this before I even dive into my number three. You can't replace a Mad Vince. There's nobody out there, even if you bring in like a Nick Rose or a Dylan Robinson or even a, a Christian Del Bianco, you're not replacing a guy like Mad Vince. He is Mad Vince for a reason. So these are just options for life after Mad Vince. And will that be this year? Will that be next year? Hopefully that's not for another 10 years because I think he could play for another 10 years if he With really wanted he to. Right. With the way he looks, he could play until he's 65. He's going to be in better shape than I will be in my entire life. It doesn't matter. Even if you that's add true. up all of my primetime years, never going to be as in shape as he is. But for me, I got three options and I'll go in order of how I like it. I got a stopgap. I got a Are you a doing young three, two, guy. one or are we doing... Yeah. Three, three, two, I'm two, going three, one. two, one. Oh. I'll go in my order. Three, am two, I, one. I got a stopgap. Not doing is my, my number other three. Ones, what was that? So am I not doing my other options then? No, you are. I, I'm just going through my order. I, I, I got. I got a. Okay. You're I got not a stopgap, which once. is my number three. My young guy is my number two, and then I got a more of a locked in, ready to ride this high wave as my number one. So I'll start with my number three as my stopgap. For my third option of trying to replace life after Vince, since you couldn't convince him, is trade for Alex Bouquet. And that name sounds familiar because he used to be a Buffalo Bandit last year. With the rush, he was 6-8 and eight with an 11.16 goals against and a 77% save percentage. And the rush, as you've seen last week, Monday and Tuesday, they're in retool slash rebuild mode, trying to get younger. And Alex Bouquet is not the youngest goalie. I think he's going to be 31. Yeah, 31. And he's got a year left. They have Hurushka, who is 22 and played very well in his limited time last year. Now, with Vancouver in 2022, he was 5-8, 11.96 goals against, and a 77% save percentage. Now, for other ideas, like I said, this is my kind of my stopgap until you're able to really fill that void of what comes next. Because again, he's on a one-year deal, so he's not going to be here forever. He's not this, you know, top ten, top five goaltender to come into the position. But he did it before after life after Anthony Cosmo. He came in for that year until Matt Vince came in. I think he can do that again. Wasn't the best year, but he held he held the fort down. I would love to trade for Brett Dobson. I would love to trade for Jameson out of Albany, Kells, uh, Demood out of uh, Panther City. But I don't know why a team would trade their number one goaltender to Buffalo. All those teams are kind of like in the rebuild slash uprise. And all of those guys are 26 and younger. I, I don't understand why those teams would trade those guys. I don't understand why Dylan Ward would come across East Coast when he's on a team that just was in the finals back-to-back years. I mean, uh, Christian Del Bianco's not coming here. So all those big-time names aren't coming here currently if Mad Vince does retire. But I think you can get a stopgap out of the rush who are retooling, who have their goalie of the future behind him. So my stopgap would be Alex Bouquet currently, if that's the route they want to go. Like I said, there's three options. That's my third option for the Buffalo Bandits with life after Vince. For being honest, I don't like either of our third options. 
No, neither do I. Neither do I. So, uh, Phil, what's your what's your second option here? <laughs> that being said, we don't like let's number move three. up the list. <laughs> let's move up the list. Okay, so I have mine. I think. Oh, I guess not. I don't. Re- I didn't really rank mine. We're just kind of ranking it on the fly. So my next one would be similar to your next one, and to me, this is kind of how I would link one, my two and three together. If they do stick with Shanahan, which I think would be. A perfectly fine option. That is my number two option would be stick with Shanahan and move him into your number one. He's been playing extremely well in the summer games that he's been allowed. He's played pretty well for the Bandits when he's gotten an opportunity. I'll let you break down his stats because you have them nicely laid out. And in general, he's been with the team for a long time. He's only 24 years old. He's been doing a good job. He's been there. He's been behind Vince, so he knows what's going on with that. He knows how to talk to the team. He's been around the team, so... Obviously, having familiarity with the team and the defense in front of you and him being young, I think if they really wanted to move on from Vince, and I'm not saying not resign him, but if, like we said, he doesn't want to come back, I think Shanahan is a perfectly fine option. I don't think he's necessarily exciting, per se, because he's not well-known in the NLL yet, and obviously, sitting as a backup, you're not like, oh, yay, let's get super pumped about our backup, but at the same time, He does have a good pedigree behind him for summer ball. He is a good goalie, and again, he knows the system. He's been here for a long time. So to me, number two on my list would be Shanahan plus drafting someone like Andrew Kidd as a backup behind Shanahan to kind of learn. And I see your twist on Shanahan, and I did actually like it a little bit better than my twist. So I'm going to let you explain Shanahan's numbers and your idea with a potential backup for him. Yeah, I think one of the benefits of rolling with Shanahan is kind of like, I guess you can call it the unknown, but also he's been behind Vince for quite a while now. He was on the practice squad in 2022, but last year he was backing up Matt Vince the entire time. And you might not think that is super valuable, but being behind a Hall of Fame goaltender, the best that's ever done it, and one of the top players that's ever even played the sport, that does something for your career. Regardless, I mean, even Aaron Rodgers, who was behind Brett Favre for the longest time, Steve Young, who was behind Joe Montana this whole time, it, it it pays to be behind those all-time greats because you're able to watch them in practice. You're able to watch them in the locker room. You're able to watch how they carry themselves, how they put in the time and the practice and all that kind of stuff. Matt Vince has definitely been talking to Delvin Shanahan without a doubt because you see him on the bench talking to Delvin Shanahan in between the whistles all the time. So I'm, I'm not doubting whatsoever that Matt Vince has talked to Delvin Shanahan and kind of given him some hints on how to be better in this league. And like you said, he's been putting up good numbers in summer ball. In the WLA, he's, this year he's 4-1 with an 8.42 goals against and an 8.19 save percentage. Last year with the Timbermen, it was even better. He was 5-1 with a 9.17 goals against and an 8.07 save percentage in the regular season, but in the playoffs. And tell me if uh, this these kind of numbers that improved in the playoffs sound familiar. Uh, hint, hint, Matt Vince. He was 5-3, 8.47 goals against, and an 8.23 save percentage in the playoffs. So that is the type of – yes, it's in summer ball. Yes, the, the competition is a, less, a little less, but there's still some high-powered names playing in the WLA in the summer, in, in box in summer. So I think it, you're – you're going to see a drop-off in performance from Mad Vince to who's ever behind him. 
But if for my second option, if I can get the guy that's sitting behind Matt Vince and that's been learning from Matt Vince and can take some of the pointers from Matt Vince and from a guy that has been in the organization for as long as he has, that the organization has high hopes for him and they clearly like him for the reason that he's been sticking around. How many other teams keep a goalie on a practice squad for that amount of time? I would be fine rolling with Delvin Shanahan behind that defense and behind that off the offense that they have pending that they're healthy, but I definitely love him. I, I, I wouldn't doubt. I, I think you won't see anywhere near the same numbers. I think you'll see like 10 and a half to 11 goals against maybe like a 78, 79 save percentage. So you're not going to get these outrageous numbers. He's not going to be up for goaltender of the year yet, but I think he's a guy that you can build with for the long haul in net. And uh, that's why number two is ride with Delvin Shanahan for me. Yeah, I like Shanahan. And then if they do ride with him because he is so young, and like you said, I do think he could be a long-term option for them. And I I think having a true backup that's a veteran, I think is is the way to go, not with a rookie backup as much as I want them to draft a rookie as well. Yeah, I just threw out the name Aaron Bold, who – would come over in free agency because he's a UFA out of Vancouver. He was three and five, eleven point nine five goals against in a seventy eight save percentage last year with a team like Vancouver who struggled to keep the ball out of their own end and struggled to you know keep the the opponents from scoring. Those aren't bad numbers for more of a veteran type guy. And like you said, in that kind of situation, I would rather have a veteran behind Shanahan than a rookie. I do like the idea of kind of like they do with goaltenders in the in, in NHL, just draft one until you nail the pick. I, I'm not opposed to also drafting a rookie as long as you bring in a, a veteran presence behind Delvin Shanahan to kind of be that calming voice where if uh, kind of like um, where they pulled, I think it was Hartley for a bit because he was out of control and he went back in the net. You just you know that calming presence you can you can salt lock it down for a bit but then Shanahan goes back in net yeah and just to kind of throw some numbers out there some of these starting goalies are goalies who have played a lot of minutes last year we kind of mentioned a lot of rookie goalies or younger goalies playing for teams Aiden Walsh was 22 playing for the Warriors Orleman's 24 playing for New York Landon Kells was for the Desert Dogs. He's 22. Dunkerley was for the Riptide. He was 23. Christopher O'Reglieri, I think, something like that. Uh, yeah, we will mention Diego. him momentarily, but he was for the Seals. He's only 20. And then Brett Dobson, like you mentioned, for the Swarm, he's only 23. So I would say, what, that's close to one-fourth of the league, one-third of the league is goalies that are sub-24 and as young as 20. So... It's not unheard of by any means, and some of these players did really well in net for their teams. Even some of these teams that are struggling on, you know, just to be a good team, they're struggling on defense, struggling on offense, and yet some of these younger kids are doing a good job in net. So it is an option to go with a younger goalie, whether it be, I don't think they would ride with an extreme rookie, but even, like you said, drafting one or Shanahan's only 24, it's by beyond not heard of to go with someone that young. But we will move on to number one. And yeah, for me, what is your number one solution if you can't convince Vince? Yeah, so we are slightly opposite on this. And the main reason I went opposite was because you took the other one. So I wanted to be a little bit different and switch it up so we don't have the same top answers. So there's two free agents, essentially, that we are both thinking of if we want to keep this championship window open and kind of kind of just ride with a brand new 
number one goalie while Shanahan either continues to learn or they just maybe don't trust Shanahan to really take over in this, you know, extremely open championship window. They want a more veteran presence back there to take this team and and continue on the the good fight to championship number back to back and, you know, fourth championship in a row would be fantastic. But my answer was Frank Shiliano from San Diego Seals. He is a free agent this year, so he's going to be up to sign with whoever. He played 694 minutes last year at a 10-2 and record because the Seals were obviously really, really good. He had a 10.71 goals against average, 429 saves, and a 78 save percentage. I think he was, I don't want to say this, but relatively hit or miss, I think, throughout the entire season. Chris O, who we just mentioned as a very young goalie, also for San Diego, he had 387 minutes, and I think that's a reason that San Diego might look to move on from Chiliano is the fact that they do have a 20-year-old goalie who played a decent amount of minutes and actually had pretty similar numbers. I know their team in general was really good, so again, you have that comparison of a good team and a young goalie and a bad team and a young goalie, but I think Chiliano is still a very good goalie, and I have no problem with him and throwing a player like him in front of the Bandits defense. I think he could get a lot of those numbers up a little higher and 78 percentage save percentage is still very good. And 10.71 goals against definitely not bad by any means. So I think he's still a good goalie. He's 31 years old. So arguably in a goaltender prime. And I do think San Diego has a, I don't know. I don't want to say a tough choice. I could easily see them bringing him back for another year or two, and then maybe having him and, Chris O kind of battle it out or see who's going to be the starter and end up just kind of fighting it out or maybe just have Shiliano as your veteran backup. Who knows what's going to be going on over there. But if Shiliano, even himself, if we don't get Vince back, he might wait it out in general and see if he'd rather be a starter on another team. If he thinks this other young goalie and San Diego is going to start using him, he might still want to be a starter in the league and not want to be any kind of split goalie or, you know, a backup by any means. So he might take the opportunity to play with a team like Buffalo and be their number one goalie and lead them back to playoffs as a huge opportunity for him. So it'll really depend on how quickly they can get the news on Vince and how quickly a player like Shiliano ends up signing. So he was one of the names that was thrown out last week with a possible trade candidate to come over to Buffalo. And I informed everybody he's actually UFA, so he can just come here freely as long as they don't franchise him. He was franchised last year. And I believe that was the, I believe he was taken by Las Vegas and they traded back for him. And then he was franchised by San Diego. So obviously they liked him, but like you said, Chris O, who is going to be the new Nate K of San Diego. Yeah, I did not say the last name. Neither do I. I'm not hoping I never have to try it, but uh, I, I don't mind him. I just prefer my guy when I was looking at the numbers. And I I guess I'm a, a bandits Homer this, this, this day i'm trying to win back all the fans for picking toronto last year but i went with zach higgins he's third gonna be 32 he is also gonna be ufa out of philly last year nine and seven with an 11.63 goals against and a 79 save percentage so the goal the goals against is not great 2022 though he was eight and eight 10.59 goals against and an 801 save percentage but in the one playoff game that he played 
I think it was against San Diego, right? I, I think they were the number one seed last year, and they had to go over and play them. Yes. He made 50 saves, allowed just nine goals in that one playoff game. And then in the shortened season 2020, he was 8-5 and five with a 9.44 goals against and an 8.15 save percentage. He was up for goaltender of the year, I think. I think he was one of the ones up for goaltender of the year. If not, he was, he was in contention for it, but... I think he is also a guy that played one year behind Matt Vince in Buffalo in 2019, uh, or 2018-2019 season before he was sent over to Philly. But I, I think the the other name that I think a lot of people are going to say is another UFA out there if they have all the numbers and everything like we do, which I've been going over the free agency nonstop, is Nick Rose. He's also UFA, but he can't be franchised by Toronto, so he's out to sign with everybody. I can't see him leaving Toronto. I can't see it. So I would just, unless I'm wrong, I think there's a tiny, tiny, tiny chance, like a 0.1% chance he would come to Buffalo and leave the rock, but I can't see it. So I'm just, it's completely out of my mind. I wouldn't even bring that up. If people even say it, I'm going to kind of laugh them off. But I think it's really between, if you're looking for a UFA, kind of like you said, there's two names. It's Shiliano and it's Higgins. And I think you and I just disagree on which one would be our top guy. I think I just prefer Higgins just based on his play style and his, you saw the season he had in 2020. If you get that behind a defense like Buffalo has and the offense like Buffalo has, I think he can put up similar numbers to Matt Vince, but I don't think he's going to be as clutch as Matt Vince was in the, in the breakaway situation. So those numbers are probably going to be a tick higher. I just prefer Higgins over Shiliano. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's really close. I I mean, I like both of them. In general, I think they're both good. I think Higgins, like you said, I think Higgins' play style would be a little bit more interesting for the Bandits. I mean, even looking through a little bit of the rookie goalies that might come in, I mean, the very first one that they mentioned seemed to have more of a Dylan Ward style of play. They said he plays his angles extremely well. He's really hard for opposing forwards to kind of see any daylight between him and the net, which is great. Obviously, Dylan Ward's really good at what he does. He's been back-to-back championships for a reason, and the Bandits took a long time to figure him out as well. So I'm not against that style by any means. Obviously, it works really well. But at the same time, to me, moving forward with the Bandits, I'd rather have them have a Ryan Hartley type player, or obviously it's really easy to say Del Bianco, who just won pretty much every award you can win in the NLL. But not necessarily just him being amazing, but just more of a goalie who can help in the transition a little more. I think that's the one area that Vince isn't amazing at. He's fine at it. He's probably league average. I, I don't think he's bad at, tra- at helping the transition game, and it doesn't really help him that the Bandits don't really have one. Obviously, the Roughnecks are known for their transition. They have those players, and Del Bianco plays right into it. So obviously, it's a lot easier for him to have those kind of numbers when Vince has Ian McKay to throw to, and that's about it, and hopes that he can do some stuff. So it's not really the Bandit style of play, so it doesn't really help Vince that much as trying to say that he's not a great transition goalie. He might be, just not what the Bandits really do, but I would hope at some point in the next few years, the Bandits really start to shift their transition game a little bit to be more aggressive, and if they're going to get a new goalie, if they're forced into it because Vince wants to retire, which is perfectly fine I think it'd be great to get a goalie who has a little bit of that I don't know energy I guess if you want to put it that way and just that you know get the ball really quickly get in your stick make a long pass and try to get the transition game going and again that's nothing against Vince it's just not something the bands really do right now or really need to do right now but 
moving forward in the next few years, I'd like to see the bands get a little bit more of a Calgary Roughnecks transition style game. And I think a big part of that is their goalie as well. It all comes down to transition. Like always, Phil, always. We love it. We love it so much. And the bandits just don't really have it again. Have they needed it? No, they're three times they've gone to the championship. They just won it. They clearly know what they're doing. I'm not saying anything against it, but it'd be nice if they had two or three players who were really good in transition. They were able to push the ball a little bit more than we've seen. I think this past year, the transition game was much improved from the year before. So hopefully that trend continues. And I think a new goalie, if it has to come down to that, that has the ability to be an addition and an asset to the transition game. I think that'd be the way I'd rather go if I had an option. It kind of comes down to our show two weeks ago, I think it was, where how can they repeat? And I said Dylan Robinson in the transition game. So like I said, always comes down to the transition game. But again, I think one of the slight overlooks, and we're not going to dive into this now, is if Mad Vince truly doesn't come back, which we're both hoping he does, I think it's a true 50-50 if he does come back, whether he, he rides off in the sunset or he comes back for another, trying to go for a repeat here, is I, I, I don't want to dive too much into this because we're already at the hour mark, but what does the next moves towards the other pieces besides the goaltender, how does this affect what moves they make in the defense category? How much does this affect the transition game? Do they go out and get another heavy hitter in the forward group because they're a little concerned that they don't have that safety net of Matt Vincent behind? So it, I think it will be a ripple effect if the if and when the time comes that Matt Vince is not between the pipes is how does that affect every other position moving forward? Because it's not just going to affect who's going to be replacing Matt Vince and net. It's going to re- it's going to affect like their play style on defense. It's going to affect how they work in transition game. It's going to affect on how many goals they try to get. I know you're always trying to get as many goals as you can in the forward department, but it's also going to affect their play style there as well. So I think they're able to play a little bit more free and loose on the forward group because they know, Hey, in the back end, we got mad Vince. There's going to be a time, hopefully not anytime soon that mad Vince isn't back there. So it's going to have differences in how you coach this team and how you build this team. So it, I, I, hopefully we don't see it anytime soon, Phil, but uh, I think that's another aspect of the game that, when the time comes, we'll address it, but this is as far as I really want to go if Mad Vince is not back. So is there anything else with this show and this episode before we uh, say goodnight and see you all next weekend? Or next is week, I should say. Priolo a free agent or no? He is a UFA, yes. That's what I thought. That would be the other, I think, massive ripple effect is if Vince doesn't come back, does Priolo go out with him and say, okay, if I'm not getting... My goalie back, who has been my, you know, ride or die for the last few years and been a humongous reason that we've gotten that far. Does Priolo also hang it up if Vince decides to hang it up? And obviously, like you just mentioned, Vince not coming back would be a huge ripple effect for the whole team and what it means. But I think the immediate ripple effect would be, does Priolo kind of go out with him then? And that would be pretty devastating to lose (laughs) Vince and Priolo back to back right in the same offseason. I think that would be not great. So we'll have to see. It's going to be a very anxious next month and a half-ish if they wait that long again. But I wonder how much effect one has over the other right now. Yeah, so uh, Steve Dietrich, a lot of other teams are signing their RFAs and UFAs yeah, and all that kind right of stuff. Can you, just, uh, uh, can you uh, get the phone ringing and uh, save us some anxiety? I know I don't have much hair right now, but I mean... 
save what little bit of hair I have left on the top of my head and trying to get some of these signings done. <laughs> At least before April tw- or August 24th, like happened with Matt Vince last year. That was a long, long, a long waiting way. period of... I uh, went through a lot of shorts of peeing and pooping my pants waiting for the signing. So, uh, Phil, if there's nothing else, we will thank everyone for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective. On Twitter, at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com, where you can find my article dropping on Friday for the 53 Prediction Show. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye